Hello and welcome back uh, to my podcast. You can hear the uh, heaters going. It's gotten colder out. I uh, did one the other day, podcast, and speaking to a gentleman, it would have been really great. Uh, it's kind of... <laughs> when I went to post this, it was gone. It was gone. And I had this amazing three-hour podcast that I've been working on. And for whatever reason... Well, there's no more podcast, so I didn't post it, and I was I made it just laughed about online and said a joke like, um, "Isn't that my luck?" <laughs> it was with with a, a friend of mine that's well, a person I know that's famous that's into quantum physics and stuff like that. Then a lot of things a lot of things happened. A lot of things really really went south. Um, this week, I picked up a lot of extra days at work. So, of course, uh, this sort of thing happens when I don't have the time to really be there for people. I feel awful about that when I'm doing these 12s. And I assume, hey, there's nothing going to be going on. And, of course, there always is. It uh, It's sad. It's really sad. I don't know where to begin with this. If I go in chronological order, it really doesn't do a lot to tell the story. So I'll begin where I'm at now. My great aunt, Dorothea, Dorothy Groft, passed away last night. And I'd spent the better part of a month from, or more, from September to October, helping her out, um, letting her stay here. And it uh, was very difficult because I was trying to get her situated with uh, a place to live. She'd had this amazing farmhouse up on Whitehorse Mountain. It was always in her her husband's family. It was many, many acres. And wow, right now the memories just memories are just flooding back to me right now as it more and more I think about it. White Horse Mountain in Pennsylvania, near the Maryland border. She uh she had his farm there, and for the most part, she lived in Princeton, New Jersey, uh, and had been in the farm. Uh, belonged to the doctor of Fort Bedford, and up on the hill above it, the Groffs, when they came from Germany, they had their own farmhouse, and there was this other building that the doctor for Fort Bedford had had, had uh, the structure still standing, the, the foundation of it didn't have mortar in it, it actually had clay. And Pappy Groft, her father-in-law, wanted to build a farm there. So he wanted to marry Cora, and he had all of it cleared. And in doing so, he lost an arm. He got his arm cut off in a saw, so he had one arm. But he built the entire farm that she lived in. 
from the standing timbers of the land that he bought, that it was in his father's name. He grew up up on the hill. That, that was still there. That was his farm. And it was all rough, you know. You went and the walls were still kind of the way they were when they were built. There was no plaster on them. It was, it was a beautiful old farmhouse. And that's where uh, she lived for a long time. It was her getaway. She uh, go there when she was living there, and she married Paul. Had several kids. Before that, she had had a son to another man, had married him, and her father had it annulled. And she was looking for stability in her life, and and, and Paul was a great guy. Paul was a guy that he worked for the water authority, and uh, he had the farm. And when things got bad, they, they moved to Princeton, New Jersey, but um, they still didn't have, you know, they still had the farm, and they still loved it, and they went back to it, and they had their beautiful house in Princeton, where they raised their kids at. And then when Paul had, uh, they moved back, Paul had cancer, he had died many years ago, I met him, but he, uh, they moved back to the farm, where he was born, well, yeah, basically where he was born, and I... My memories pick up there. When I was a child, I'd go to the farmhouse with Dorothea. My grandmother was her sister, so we'd go up there, and sometimes we'd have family reunions. We'd just go up for the day, you know, to see her. As a child, I, I, was, I was always amazed at the place because it was an old dirt road, this huge field. I'd stand next to the tall weeds and look out over the field to the the tree line and see all different animals and things like that down to the pond the pond was like a magical place too that time in my life I wasn't interested in girls yet I was interested in catching frogs and going fishing I was the huckleberry finn in a way and we'd go up to uh, Dot's farm, and there was the old uh, spring house. You could take a cup and just drink the water right out of the spring. It was a real deep hole in the ground that had a uh, stone wall around it. It had a uh, roof on it. They went to the milk house. There was another building that flowed right next to it where you'd walk down into. And there were always frogs that sat there. And I was always told to put them back because they were her friends. So, growing up, that's what I did. I went to that to the spring house, and the water would go actually down through the, the foundation of the house. Uh, the foundation the old Bedford doctor had, he had it set up to where there was a trough that went through the basement. And you could uh, very easily put... Anything you wanted to store there in the winter in the old days, and then it went down to the the little pond. We tried. We tried one time. My father and us went up and caught some native trout. And we tried to uh, 
put them in the lake. They got very large. But what happened was the bears and um, different people would sneak in and fish it out. So it never worked out. But we, we went up for a while through the years to visit her when she was in. And she was a you know taxi driver in Princeton, uh, New Jersey. And we get to see a lot of the, the uh, farm and I get to spend time with her and talk, talk to people, learn some of these different uh, bits of the history of the place. And hear some of the stories and just enjoy the atmosphere of the farmhouse. Sometimes her kids uh, and their kids would come up and I got to know, um, well, I won't mention their names, but the three of them individually I knew from down in North Carolina. I'd met one time when we went to see Dot in New Jersey. I got to spend some time with them and really enjoy the farm and enjoy the pond. They were, they were a lot more adventurous than I was. They were spending weeks at a time up there with their grandmother. I, the one boy was, you know, the oldest. He always watched out for everybody. The girl, she was fun to be around. And the youngest one was, he was the adventurous one. And I always piled up with him a good bit and enjoyed being around him. And she was in New Jersey a lot, so we went to New Jersey and saw that she was a, a taxi driver, which I never knew. And, and one of the times she came up with her taxi and we went to the store. And as a child, that was so exciting to see a little bit of her history. Uh, this this whole farm that she had soon became, as I said, a place that she lived, where she had been in New Jersey. She had a nice house. She knew uh, Barbara Johnson from Johnson and Johnson, and would cook with her. She knew her. Barbara Johnson was very down to earth, very nice lady. She had spoken many times about her, and she'd. Had her, had her taxi service, and she had people who worked for her. So it was a nice community. You had, there were some, shall I say, sketchy people that were involved in some things that uh, weren't on the up and up. But they watched out for her, and then the police there watched out for her. The police would knock on her door and say, "Hey, uh, Mrs. Groff, don't don't uh, don't shoot. We're coming in. We want to get a sandwich." She was everybody's mom. She was a strong. Outstanding woman. It was the. She she valued what she had. She always would try to have the best of things because she'd grown up without them. She was a de depression baby. And she always she always had an eye out for people to watch out for them and cared about them. And I've always knew the best of her, and I can't think of one thing I can think of to say bad about her at all. In all the years I've known my great aunt, she could always garner the respect of anybody and everybody that she met. So when she came back up here uh, to the farm, people had broken into it, so she'd lost some of the antiques and different things she had there. And she went through a quiet time in her life, taking care of her 
husband until he passed away. And she wanted away from the place a little bit, so she got a trailer in town, but she still had the farm. And eventually she always moved back to the farm because she had, it was going to go out of the family's hands. Her husband passed away and, well, her husband was still alive and the kids, his brothers and sisters didn't really care about it. So she saved up the money and she kept it in the family. She bought, bought it. Beautiful, beautiful farm. And that that was her soul. That was where she really felt the closest to. Old Pappy Groft with his one arm and his alcoholic side. He drank a lot. He worked hard. He was a tough man. He wasn't somebody people spoke to in a way that he didn't like. <laughs> but to him, she was small pint. He, he'd say, small pint? I don't know about you. And she'd stand up to him. And she could get away with stuff that nobody else could. That was Dot. That was Dorothy. That was Dot. She, uh, she was a tough, independently-minded woman. So, she, so there are a lot of memories of the farm. A lot of, a lot of memories she had. And it so happened that her grandson that had unfortunately gotten into drugs had three kids and they were going to be put in foster care or taken away. It was a bad situation. In the meantime, her one son had fought in Vietnam and had a stroke and he needed taken care of. So she being the maternal caregiver, everything she was. She took him in. He even had, up to the end, up to when he passed away a few years ago, he had both legs amputated, and she took care of him. And with these three kids, and even eventually later a fourth one, another, another child, she took them in. She went to court and she said to the judge, I may be old, but... I am going to give them a safe environment. I'm going to invest in them, what they need. Um, and she did. She did. She spent... I'm not going to say in, in a way that... Uh, let's say that money matters, but she probably spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on those kids to make sure they had a good education, all the help they needed. It was, it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. She spent her wealth on investing in them. And I've always been close to those three kids, but even to this day, I look at them closer than some of my own cousins I have are. And they'd be like a... I don't know what they'd be to me. I have to actually look that up. That's a good question. What would they be to me? <laughs> this is, this is going to be interesting. But... Uh, she took them in, and she was wonderful. She wasn't perfect. Nobody is. Nobody's perfect. But she definitely had the wherewithal to try to make their life a little better. 
they're my second cousins once removed, which is a lot for me to kind of try to do the math on. But I spent spent some time, not a lot, with them. They were much younger than me. But I enjoyed going up and seeing them. You know, to me, family, any opportunity, my, my mother would be saying, hey, I'm going to go up and see Aunt Dorothy. Aunt Dot, I wanted to be there. Every time she'd have a birthday, which was her birthday was December 31st, I'd say, yeah, let's get her a cake. It's exciting to me. I'm going to go up to the old farm. I'm going to see, see her. And then when her other son in Florida got killed, and my grandmother and her went down to the funeral, I had almost like a week that she needed somebody to watch her son that had the stroke and these kids. So we went up and I got to spend some time with them. It wasn't perfect. It was a little strange sometimes with the the son of hers that had a stroke. He was he couldn't talk. It was a, it was a lot to deal with. It made me realize just how much of her time, her life, she put into taking care of her family. And of course, all the kids from down the road and everybody else would come up, and she was everybody's nan. Yeah. Where does this all stem from? This this amazing life, this amazing idea of being a strong woman, taking care of people. It comes from the depression. It comes from a really sad time. It comes from an evil man. It comes from history. I'll go back to her great grandfather. James Hedden lived up in Cherry Tree where she loved being and I, she didn't know any of this I, I looked it all up and showed it to her and over the past few years was glad to show her the history of her family but up in Cherry Tree in the late 1800s James Hedden lived with his wife and had several daughters and several sons and was killed when a tree had fallen he tried cutting it up with someone and he was holding the roots back where they were sawing and didn't realize the one roof root was still attached and it snapped the hemlock tree back on him and killed him. So when James Hedden passed away, it really separated their family and his daughter, Margaret, had many kids to a man that for all intents and purposes walked down on, on her. They didn't have that strong fatherly figure that kind of held things together and Margaret had died, I believe, about 1920, maybe before that. It had to be before that. It was about 1917, 1918. So it could have been from the 1918 flu, from what I understand, what I kind of surmised. But I'm looking at the census records where she lived with her sister when her husband le left her. And Margaret's daughter, Mary, was, of course, uh, my grandmother and Dot's mother. So here you had young Mary who had been crippled by falling on a coal bucket and had health issues. Her mother has passed away. Her grandfather's family, yeah, her grandfather's family is 
totally wiped out. The kids are given away to different places to be raised. Aunts, uncles, everything else. It's, it's a depression. But she meets her husband and uh, he marries her to keep out of World War One. He's been in and out of trouble and he, uh, I guess I can say it now, you know, he molested my grandmother and her sister. It's a big family thing he didn't know about, nobody's talked about. I say about it not because to put him down or to talk about it, but my grandmother turned to religion and my great aunt, she turned to being there for family as well and religion, but she, she had a lot of nice stuff. I always liked her. She always, she wanted to improve herself. She wanted to have a life where my grandmother had more of a sheltered life. I think Dorothy had more of one that, just like, a, like I said, she became a taxi driver. She got friends with Albert Einstein, all kinds of people. Through the years in this past few months, especially, and the last few years, last few years with doing history, the past few months with her living with me, I feel like I was told all of this information of the family, just sitting there with a pen, writing it all down, or telling her, hey, I want to write this down for your family, for your kid's family. It's not my direct family history, but I want to do it for you. So she became very protective of my grandmother, who was younger than her, and raised her in a lot of ways. And that started, that started with her. I mean, she was, she was a very tough person. She was saying, oh, her and her brother Bill built this, this barn for this farm they were living at. And here a few years ago, she goes up and she says, and she was forward. She pulls up at this farmer's farm and she gets out of her car and just standing there looking at the barn. And this farmer comes out. He was eating his breakfast. He wiped his mouth. He said, can I help you? And she's like, yeah, I'm looking at your barn. He said, well, yeah, it's my barn. And she says, yeah, I should know. I built it. And he goes, what? He goes, yeah, I built it. She says, he's that have to be back in the 1930s. She's like, yeah. And he's like, wow. And it, it meant a lot to her. It really was showing you how she, she she was not somebody that sat on her laurels at all. But and she liked nice things. I mean I'll tell you some I'll tell you one thing about Dot, she had she had a nice desk that was beautiful. It was it was worth thousands. She she liked quality things. In fact, a few years ago, we were up at the cemetery. I showed her where her grandparents were buried, and she said, you know, she told me all this, and she said, maybe I dealt with things the wrong way. Maybe I was too worldly at times. And I said to her, how could you be worldly because you gave so much to other people? You made sure they had the best that they needed, and you invested not just your money, but your heart and your time with her, with them. I still remember that day. We're parked at the cemetery. It was raining. It was cold. It was about before Memorial Day. And we were waiting for the rain to stop. We were talking about different things. She took me to where 
and her mother and her never told her this, but she had two sisters, Ethel and uh, Bertha, born nineteen eighteen and nineteen nineteen. They died as babies. She was up at her uncle's, and they mentioned about it, and she's like, "Sister, I don't have two sisters." So, she took the money from when she sold her house, Princeton, to buy a tombstone for them. She went up and said, said to the funeral people, I want to know exactly where it's at. I would like a stone put here. There's not a stone here. She showed me where it was at. It was a big thing to her. I'm a little heart sick right now. I'm really, I'm really heart sick. I... I keep my emotions in check a little bit, and then I kind of just get, it's where it, it touches me, you know? So, uh, I spent a lot of time with Dorothy after my grandmother passed away. It was very important to me. She was really the only aunt I had left. And, uh, Man, this is this is really really affecting me now. Just think, you know, I hold my emotions back, but uh, just give me a minute. So she put all this money into helping people, especially her great grandkids. And at one point, she was in her nineties, and she had a little three-year-old. Her other great-granddaughter that was given her to raise and she kept with it and her and her son had passed away and soon she was helping out her great-great-grandkids I sat there and said to her I said you know I never even knew my great-grandparents I can't imagine these kids knowing you their great-great-grandparent and I'm feeling, feeling a little old you know too so I started looking more into the family tree, and we got we got interested in things. And I found my grandmother's photos, and I, I took them up to her one day, and I'm like, "Hey, I need you to do something with me." And she was always excited to. She wanted copies of them. She'd lost her copies, and um, she had the names. She knew the names of all the people. She knew the stories. Some of them I had no idea who they were. And I was glad to be able to uh, have her sit there and, and write it down for me. So here are a couple, let's say what, about two years ago. She kind of had her farmhouse sold. I don't know the circumstances, but I, from what I understood, it, she didn't want it, want it sold. She didn't want to get rid of it, but... There were a lot of circumstances that came into came into effect, and she moved in the trailer next to her great grandkids. And it's not always easy having your your parent or your great your grandparent, let alone great grandparent, living next to you and helping to be there as, as much. Sometimes she got in the way. I know she uh, she cared too much sometimes. That was that was Dot. And the rent got really high in the trailer court. She kept saying, man, I wish I could get that farmhouse back. And we, we were going somewhere, and we 
Her daughter came from North Carolina to pick her up, to take her, to live down with her. Now, I won't go into the whole situation with the other family members and the, uh, the Lancy reunion. There were some people that, when she had things in storage, took all of her stuff, I'll put it that way. And I honestly don't know the whole situation, so I won't comment on it. But I recently just got some of her quilts back for her, but she was devastated by that. But she went to this reunion, she came up here, she stayed with us. And I'm always worried, is my place good enough? Because it was, I'm uh, very modestly, meagerly. But she was fine with it. She loved it. And she loved all the plants I had. She gave me a couple pieces of her, her uh, poinsettia that she had. And there were a couple of them in there, different colored ones. And it was her mother-in-law's that was one of the first poinsettias ever bought in late Victorian era up to the 19-teens. And she said, it's over 100 years old. So I have, I have cuttings of that growing. And it kind of felt like a goodbye. I didn't like it. Oh. But I knew the further she got from that farmhouse, the further that uh, she got from what she loved the most in life. But I knew she'd be safe down North Carolina. And that went, went for about... I am dealing with this constantly. I apologize. I'm trying out new software. I'm going to be getting a new phone here. And uh, let me see. I have no idea why it did that. Okay. <laughs> I, like I said, the other other podcasts have me forced into buying a new phone, so I'm trying out a new microphone. And in the process of that, for some reason, this decides it's going to do its own thing. But you know, she was down with her daughter, and I knew she was safe, but then she wanted to move back. I think I think she missed her great-grandkids and wanted to be closer to them. I know that's what it was. And she came up with this person that was, she thought she could trust, and she they, she let them, they let them stay with them for, so she could try to get the farm back. I don't know what, what her plan was. But it didn't go well. She didn't feel safe there. And I said, yeah, come here. She said, come here. So for those past few months, with her here, it wasn't the easiest because, you know, I'm trying to get her a place and <laughs> we're in the middle of a pandemic. She doesn't have her birth certificate or her, she has a marriage license, but most of it's photocopies. And you can't get anything cheap, especially government help. At this point, she had no money. You can't get much with with photocopies. So, tried helping her out. It, it was a headache. It drove me crazy sometimes. I admit it. I'm not making this like a made-for-TV movie. It it was sometimes a little difficult. She was a very independent woman, and she wanted to do things her way. Even at ninety-five, she was going to do things her way. And she said, "I'm going to live to be a hundred and four, like my grandfather." And I had from the time I woke up, I worked night shifts, but the time I woke up till the time I went to bed, just constant conversations 
with the last woman, last matriarch, the last person of my grandmother's generation. And she'd constantly say to me, she'd say, you know, maybe, maybe I'm the only person left that knows this. She'd tell me something. And I asked her, I said, who was your, uh, your first husband, the one that uh, you're the son to? And she told me how it was a guy she had met and they'd gotten married and her father was a control freak. You know, I told you a little bit, but he was a control freak and he had the marriage annulled and she found out she was pregnant. So she gave the kid the name of the guys and her father, because she was young, took custody of him. She comes back and all of a sudden his name has changed to her father's last name and she didn't know about it until he entered school. He was uh, getting into trouble and she said, well, she said, I have to kind of take, take care of this. And he was the one that passed away that was in Florida. So I, I've documented that. And I don't know if anybody else knew that information or researched it or anything. So it was constantly just things like that. I wrote a lot of it down. I spent a good bit of time with her. It was about cooking, you know. Uh, she wrote a couple of different recipes I made. She loved them. She loved that Italian food. She loved that cooking. I tried to get her that apartment. Anything else I could do. I'm just sitting here all day watching videos about fountain pens and history and all, all kinds of things that would interest her. GPS. Uh, she was she was still like a sponge for information. And she said, you're very interesting. You're like a uh, you're very old soul. She's you're older than I am. And I started laughing. And, um, it, it was interesting. It was, it was nice. It was, it was the only time in my life I'd really gotten to spend time with her. She was entirely vulnerable, you know, she had, she had nothing. And I was glad to be able to help her out because she had spent her entire life helping other people out. I mean, she's my grandmother's sister. How could I not have, have love and a big heart for her? And I just, just went to Erie a little the other day. I, I wanted to take her and... She'd never been to Erie. <laughs> her uncle had lived up there, but she'd never been to Erie. Her uncle had a, his wife had a stand where they'd sell produce at. And I said, I just, just said to her, I says, you know, this spring, I'm going to take up or we'll go up. You'll love it. So right now it's a little too chilly. I says, but uh, oh, we got to do that. And now we never will, but... Um, Thankfully, her well, things didn't go well, so I want to say thankfully, but really, her great-grandkids and, with our help, got her an apartment. Mainly, they did. They, they're good. They're good. They live over there. She wanted to go back to the city where I was born at, Somerset. And we went to visit her twice, and uh, just the other day, like, it was so crazy. Uh, we had pizza. Uh, she wanted a quilt. 
she gave my mother a couple quilts she'd gotten back. She wanted them. She said, can you clean them? And I gave her this plant and she's like, uh, it was, it was, it was nice to see her. And we, we left. We get back and it's only a couple hours later. We're sitting there and her daughter from North Carolina calls and said that she fell and break, broke her hip. Like what? You know, and that, that just sent chills through me because I knew, and I know, when you're 95 years old and you break a hip, you have heart problems. That's, that's, scary and but she made it through the the, the surgery so it was the next day next morning she made it through the surgery and i'm sitting here praying all day trying to you know go to work and keep a good face for people online i'm reading doing a couple poetry readings and but inside i'm just being really consumed with worry about this And in fact, her great-grandson came in and she said to him, you got to sign me out of here. Get me out of here. I don't, I don't want to be here. And that's how, that's how spunky she was. This whole time, the Powerball was going on. She wanted to win it because what happened was the people, the people that bought her farm took it and remodeled it, did away with all the original things in it, and were flipping it for something like four times of what they paid for it. And I was showing her online all of it, and she'd been up by it. It, it. it really, like, devastated her that this was not just her farm. This was her identity. And she wanted to play the Powerball, and she said to me, you know, I'm going to win this. I'm going to win something and I'm going to buy that farm back. And I was open. I even, I even played it. I don't play the Powerball. I played it because I had this dream. Nothing, nothing about myself. Like I, I could care less about what the Powerball is worth. I really could care less. But if I had won that, I'll tell you what. I would have said, Dorothy, you have dedicated your life and spent all of your material wealth, your love, kindness, and everything else for other people. I'll buy it for you. I didn't win the Powerball, neither did she, though, unfortunately. And in fact, uh, we found out it had already been sold again. And I just could see that take the life out of her. It 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 devastated her. So she fell and made it through the surgery, and her her big thing was I'm going to live to be 104 like my grandfather. There's so many other stories about that month with her that in those few weeks more and everything else I could I could go on for two hours about different things of family history that, that bore everybody else but you know it, it it showed 
what kind of person she was, where she was from, all of that. But then I'm at work. The night after surgery, I thought, good, you know, she made it through, and I'm going to work, and it's a 12-hour shift. I'm working with this guy, and I find out that she has pneumonia, and I looked at this guy I'm working with, and I go, oh, man. He's like, what? And I, I told him the whole story. He's kind of got this look, too, on his face. He knew what I meant. We didn't, didn't need to say anything. And uh, 15th, which is November 15th, uh, 2021. They said they didn't expect her to make it through the day. And I'm one where, you know, when, when things happen, I'm not going to be... Everybody flocks to, to places. People give misinformation. I don't want to get my emotions bottled up. And I, I gave some of the people hell for... Have being negative about it. I said, hey, what's going to happen is going to happen. I've been in too many situations where it's in God's hands. And uh, I'll leave it at that. It scares the living hell out of me. I, I've, I've been in hospital waiting rooms. You know, that situation where you're waiting to hear something where someone's in the surgery, let alone when they have pneumonia. So then... I laid down to get some sleep before I went to work, and I thought, well, you know, I I, uh, I have faith that she's going to live through this because she's she's tough. She's somebody that uh, really, really is strong-minded, strong-willed. At the same time, her daughter is dying out in Kansas, and she's talking to her on the phone every day. You know... She's telling me that she's not done. She doesn't know how anybody could ever want to die. So she's strong-willed. But when you have pneumonia and things like, like that going on after surgery and you're 95, it, it, did, it did take her life. And I went to work last night. I just really just, uh, I wasn't there. I was there, but I wasn't there. I did all my work. I did everything. Everything I could do, but emotionally I was, I was somewhere else. And my mind was wandering and posted a few things online. And you know, you, you, how do you sum up someone's life? You sum up things, but you really can't put them into the perspective of words. I didn't intend these podcasts to be about when people die. That's that's not not what I wanted to do. But so much lately, I've said it before, I've had so many friends this year, and then I didn't expect my great aunt, even at 95, to do this, so. Her obituary is online. It's somewhat incomplete, but I'll, I'll read it. Honor her life. Dorothy Carolyn Delancey Groft, December 31st, 1925 through November 15th, 2021. Dorothy Groft, 95, Somerset, formerly of Berlin, died November 15th, 2021, at UPMC Somerset, born December 31st, 1925. It says in Blaine, but actually she was born in uh, 
Blair County, and Sylvia Township, the daughter of Thomas and Mary Dunlap Delancey. Proceeding to death by parents, husband Paul, sons Larry and Ronald. Two grandchildren, three sisters, two brothers, survived by daughters Bonnie Wilson, Mount Pleasant, North Carolina, Donna Groft, Hamilton, New Jersey, and Deborah LaFue, Wichita, Kansas, and numerous grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren. She enjoyed quilting, spending time with family. And of course, because the service is going to be at uh, 10 a.m. So, that's something I never wanted to read. I wanted her to live. The cat Sasha didn't uh, get too close to her. She kept saying to Sasha, she'd say, You're so pretty, can I pet you? And Sasha would just run away, you know. I wanted to think about the life of Dorothy Groft tonight and just speak of some of the times we had and her life and all the things she overcame. She went from being this child that grew up taking care of her sister during the Depression to become a taxi driver into quilting, taking care of so many people that were vulnerable, had nothing. There were people, nobody, nowhere to go, her grandkids, anybody. She was a mother to them. She was caring. She'd be a little tough at times, strict, but she was tough. She was caring and she gave them the opportunities that she'd never been given in her life. I want to really think about her and think about that kind of life. And people say 95, but she was a very young 95. She was somebody that lived every day to its fullest. So, you want to be in my podcast, Sasha? You can. What do you want to say about Dorothy? Anything? What did you think of her? What did you think of her? Huh? You don't know? Okay. Well, if you don't know, then I don't know. If I don't know, then the people out here don't know. It's a microphone. <laughs> okay, well, that's a good way to end. That was spontaneous and the universe's way of doing what I'm doing. Thank you all. And thank you, Dorothy Groft.